Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. Scrap. <laughs> Up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 324, coming to you on Monday, August 12th. We're 19 days away from USC football and midway through fall camp. We're going to give you the latest takeaways and observations from camp, including looking back at the first scrimmage, which was held Saturday at Howard Jones Field. Take your listener questions and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We are halfway through fall camp. Fall camp is only two weeks. Um, I feel like this month is going to just fly by because I can't believe it's already the 12th. Uh, it's It's been a long 12 days for me, though. So Has it? I'm really excited for this week to be over because the grind uh, will be a little bit less grindy after this week. This The, the, the last yeah. technical week of fall camp. Once we get into mock game week, I think it'll start going really, really fast, though. It's just that, you know, daily practice is daily standing out in the sun for multiple hours and daily, like, frying my brain. How do you feel about mock game week? I hate mock game week. Like, hate it. For, why? Strictly because of the anticipation. Like, I, I want the season to start. I, I, I don't like mock game week. Because it's like, oh, fall camp's over. Okay, let's get into the season. And nope, nope, we're going to piddle fart around for another week. I completely get the point of it. I'm not, I'm not right. saying the it's a bad idea. It. It, yeah, I, I get that. It's just like the anticipation in, you know, like college football is almost here. And then we're just going to wait a little bit longer. It does feel weird to me. Like fall camp feels like it should be a three-week thing. And the fact that it's only a two-week thing and then you get into mock game week is weird to me like i don't it just it feels condensed in a in a different kind of way um but for me mock game week is kind of nice because it it's a let off in terms of they do the same media practices that they're going to do in mock game week for the the regular season which means that like i don't have to be out in the sun <laughs> 5 days a week um and i i get my last free weekend uh, till the end of camp so like yeah. since i've been covering practices it's felt like a little bit of an oasis, but I get where you're coming from in in terms of in the past. I would always be looking for like it's it's almost there, but it's not there yet. Like too far away. We're not in game week, game week, game week. Uh, so there is that anticipation that you're sitting on. Yeah, it's the same thing with baseball season. 
they they break spring training only to play two more games in Vegas or whatever it is. And you're like, eh, just get to the season already. Um, but there's a lot of things that are getting us ready for the season, like my game week, which will be next week. This week, Saturday at the Coliseum, 4 p.m., is the fall showcase. Uh, looking forward to that. Should be a, a big event for USC fans going to the Coliseum, see what the new Coliseum renovation looks like, seeing what the team looks like. So that'll be something to look forward to. But then on August 30th, Friday, the day before USC plays Fresno State, we are going to have our start of the season meetup that night, Friday night. Yeah, it's going to be at, at Rock and Brews uh, down in the down in the south, your neck of the woods, South Bay. Yeah, and, and El, El Segundo. Segundo. Yeah. Is, it, is it El Segundo or El Segundo? You it's have El opinions. Segundo. Segundo. Okay, that's what I was saying. El right. Segundo. It's El Segundo. El Segundo. It's San Pedro. It's Juanapero if you're in Long Beach. Uh, these are these are the, how the names are pronounced. I don't <laughs> well, I don't choose it. That's just how it this is. This is why I consult you for these things. But no, yeah, that'll be super fun on the on the eve of the start of the season. Get down to Rock and Brews, uh, have a have a brew, have some have some food, and ha- chat USC football with us and uh, fellow robots. So good times. Yeah, it should be a good time indeed uh, to talk about the Trojans getting ready for that uh, opening game against Fresno State again, August. 30th, Friday, the day before, uh, probably about 7 o'clock, uh, we'll be at Rockin' Bruce in El Segundo. Come join us, and uh, yeah, have a beer and have a chat. Uh, let's also talk about what's going down on Patreon. You were throwing a million things at the wall there. Um, I have no idea how you do it all. Uh, I, I know that the mostly practice car cast, this, this the right after practice. This, so, this is why so this I week get, has been a grind. <laughs> I know, I get that, but I'm just saying, like, I it's... I honestly sometimes wonder if you have a like a time turner. I wish, dude. I very much wish so. No, uh, practice car casts have been really great. Those things are always longer than I intend them to be, but they're. I think they they encompass everything that I need to say from the practice field. Uh, I'm doing um, inside the scrum now, where I take all the interviews that we do after practice, put them together into a nice little format, uh, so you hear directly from the players, from the coaches. And you hear some of my thoughts about what they said and what they're talking about as well. And then also this week I did a, a bonus Q&A uh, for the Patreon subscribers specific to the scrimmage, getting deeper into some of their questions about the scrimmage and how it all went down and how things are feeling around USC. So, yeah, there's uh, ridiculous amounts of content over on the Patreon right now and will continue to be through, you know, the, the, we're not slowing down, basically, like all, it's going to be a repeat this week again, if not more. And then, you know, the season's going to start and we're going to be having rewatches and uh, pregame Q&As and, you know, all sorts of stuff that's just going to be flooding your uh, flooding your podcast catcher. So good times for the Patreon. Yeah. Should we go over what the schedule is going to be like? So on Thursdays, we have game preview episodes. Those lead you into the game with predictions, talking about what's going to go on in the game, getting your listener questions about what's going to happen in the game, and so much more. Those are full episodes here on this feed that you're listening now. On Fridays on Patreon, there will be a pregame Q&A. It's whatever our Patreon subscribers want to ask us, we will answer. On Fridays, those will be posted. On Saturdays, after games, we have CarCast breaking down uh, the game, reacting to it, giving you basically our first 
thoughts about what just went down. Those will be posted on Saturday nights, uh, occasionally Sunday mornings if it's a late night game, uh, pretty much as soon as we can, we post those episodes. And then on Sundays on Patreon uh, is Alicia's rewatch series uh, in which she rewatches the game on TV uh, and compares that to what she thought about the game in person uh, at the game from the field level uh, and kind of compares that, breaks it down, gives you some analysis there. And then on Tuesdays back here uh, on the same feed, we have uh, the full recap episode or the full fallout episodes in which we go back uh, and talk about the game with a little bit more clarity a few days later um, and open up a big mailbag and everything kind of dissect the game that way. So three episodes on the free side, two episodes on Patreon. All of our bonus episodes are available on Patreon at patreon.com slash reign of Troy. Not to mention, Practice CarCast will be, you know, be put up on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Practice will be a little bit different. Uh, Alicia, you're only going to have access to Practice for about, like, the first 20 minutes to a half hour or so. Um, I think the, you know, the stuff you'll be able to talk about in this Practice CarCast will be a little bit different there, too. Um, But, yeah, overall, four episodes on Patreon per week, three uh, on the free feed. So it's like seven episodes. Uh, subscribe on Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. Well, not literally. Not but, literally, but almost. But, but yeah. Patreon.com slash uh, Reign of Troy. Where as little as 555, you get all of it. Yeah. And now is definitely the time to subscribe, not just to get all that extra content, but also to support the show. If you like us and want to give us, you know, that little something to keep us going, uh, keep us able to continue to produce all this content then we very, 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 very much appreciate your support, and we love our Robot patrons more than anybody in the world. Yeah, we, we couldn't put together your, your studio that you put together. Yeah. Uh, we couldn't be able to travel to games and all that stuff uh, without the support over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Uh, help us bring you the best content that we can. Uh, that is our goal. Uh, let's get into this episode, talking about the news up next. USC had their first fall scrimmage over the weekend on Saturday at Howard Jones Field, out in pads, doing full tackling and the whole bit. Uh, by all reports, the offense was able to move the ball pretty well. The defense had their ups and downs. Uh, it was an interesting day for the quarterbacks, I would say. Uh, what was your uh, assessment of the first fall scrimmage? Yeah, it was fun. It was good. Um, they, they did a lot of real football, which is always what I'm looking for. Uh <laughs> You get really tired of, of the not real football. So when they go out in 11 on 11 and full pads and full tackling where you can actually tell what the outcome of a play would be in real life. It's very it's very refreshing compared to a lot of what you see at practice where you can't tell would would the running back have broken that arm tackle of that safety as he came up or, you know, would he really have been stopped? It's nice to see guys actually get to go out and create plays the way that you normally would see them create. And I think it gives you a better idea of, of what you're actually looking at, uh, both offensively and defensively. It's Granted, it's hard to tell because, I, and I always say this, it's a zero-sum game. If the quarterbacks had a good day, then that means that the secondary probably was getting abused. If the running backs have a good day, then that means your defensive line and your linebackers weren't closing out the gaps. And, and if it's the opposite, if your pass rush is going crazy, then that means that your offensive line is having trouble. So 
it's hard to get a, a like decide which side of of the of the pendulum you you, you want to swing. But on Saturday, it was a really good day to see the the offense be able to put up some some big plays and to get some things rolling and to have the quarterbacks maybe look that little bit more comfortable, even if I'm still waiting for somebody to really wow me. I'm still waiting for JT or somebody to just have like one of those days where they're out there for the entire day and they look comfortable and they look ready to go and the offense is really clicking. I don't think the offense is clicking yet. But you made it maybe we saw some of the the beginnings of the clicking. We we saw some of the the ways that this offense can punish a defense uh by going underneath and by hitting you over the top, uh, which was uh definitely what happened to the defense on, on Saturday with, with you know, the, the the way it all played out. You know, we're we're gonna talk about the battles a little bit more uh later on here in this episode. So I don't wanna completely go into it, but when you mentioned the quarterbacks, is it possible that this could be a scheme in which the quarterbacks don't have to necessarily be transcendently good. Uh, could could they be productive without looking amazing? Because, you know, reading everything that went down on Saturday, it sounds like they were productive, even if not impressive. Is, is that possible? Am I just, you know, throwing things at the wind here? What is that? I guess, so this is, the, this is maybe my struggle. You don't have to be a transcendent quarterback in the sense that you don't have to have the amazing arm talent in the ar- in the air raid to be really good. That's why they call them system quarterbacks, because you don't have to be incredibly gifted. But you do have to have the right mind for it, right? Like, Gardner Minshew is not tearing up the NFL or anything like that. Did but- you see that hit he got? He just got rocked by Kenny Young. Oh, no, I, d- I totally didn't. I didn't even know he was with a <laughs> yeah. team in the NFL. But He's with the Jacks. Oh, well, good for him. He's taking over for Cody Kessler. Oh, well. That sucks for Cody, uh, but <laughs> but uh, no, it, it it was it's the kind of thing where um, you need to have the speed of thought. You need to have the go the right place. You need to have, make the right, right right decisions all the time, right? So you know, I, I agree that maybe you don't have to be spectacular, but you still have to be making the right decisions more often than not. And I think you need to be consistent because if you're going to take what the defense gives you and dink and dunk a little bit. That means, like I imagine, based at least based on the way that the offense rolled on on Saturday, there's going to be more of dink and dunk and dink and dunk, and then take your downfield shot when it presents itself because you've drawn the defense up. But when you're dinking and dunking, that means that you can't afford to be. Uh, it's almost like a running offense in the sense that you can't afford to be behind the uh, what? What is it? Um, the schedule behind schedule. Yeah. Behind you. You can't yeah. be behind schedule because you are going to be sort of carving out chunks a little bit more slowly, uh, except for when you do go over the top. And that seemed to work where USC had the big the best drives that USC had were drives where they were, you know, it was a run and then a little outside shot and then a little swing pass and then, you know, dinking and dunking until, bam, they hit you over the top to, to Valus Jones, who just totally burns his his defender. You know, that can work, but you need your quarterback to be really consistent in that. And I think maybe that's where I I'm still waiting for JT Daniels to have that big, consistent, like just on it from start to finish kind of day, which is a little bit more of what I felt like I was seeing from like the reason that, for instance, Matt Fink had a really good day is that from start to finish, I didn't feel like he ever faltered, like not every drive of his was perfect. 
but it felt like he knew what he was doing and he and he and he there was a speed of purpose in the way that he was commanding the offense, which I, I just right. I'm waiting to see that from JT. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things I, I find about, you know, scrimmages when when you're going up against your own men, you, you mentioned the zero sum game of yeah, if the offense looks great, does that mean the defense sucks? Like, I don't know. The answer's somewhere in the middle, right? Um, you know, I, I think being naive and saying that the offense is is great uh, is a little naive and not giving the the defense you know some some criticism. Uh, the other the opposite is also true. It, that doesn't mean that the that the defense is just bad and the offense is is just mediocre. There's a middle ground there, right? But I think the interesting thing that you, you mentioned Dinkin and Duncan and then going over the top. I do does that happen? The, like in a a scrimmage. What, does that happen the same way it would in a game? I, I don't know that. I don't know that your defense is making adjustments schematically like you would in an actual game. In the sense of, oh well, we're, we need to stop them, so we're gonna we're gonna bring an extra man into the box or whatever it is uh, that you would have. You, you would make an a, adjustment in a game. Do you make those same adjustments in a scrimmage? I don't necessarily think so. I think you do. I don't. I, not to the extent that you would in a game, to be sure. But these are also competitive coaches, and they are coaching against each other. And I, I do think that you do adjust, and I do think that you are trying to sort of simulate as closely as you can what would happen in a game. Now, in a game, you're not going to go to your second team defense and have Adonis Ote out there uh, for you know seven consecutive snaps. And then right. risk him getting burned over the top by a veteran receiver who's much faster than him. You know, that's you're not exactly simulating the game that way. Uh, but but I do think that the, that adjustments are being made because you are trying to simulate game conditions as closely as you can on a practice field. Right. I, I just think it's interesting trying to figure out what's what uh, in, in in analyzing uh, a, a scrimmage that way. Uh, I want to run down things really quick, rapid fire. Uh, just tell me your immediate thoughts about them uh, from the scrimmage running game. Um, d- decent. Uh, I think they were most impressive in some short yarded situations, so that was good. But otherwise, it's a little bit hard to tell, uh, just because you know the 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 walk on running backs are the ones that are getting most of the most of the reps and. Didn't have a Vi Malapai available. Stephen Carr wasn't going full go. Um, not not in terms of that he couldn't. It's just that there didn't seem to be a reason to risk him. Um, so yeah, the, nothing to be worried about yet. I think O line versus D line. I thought the offensive line did better than I expected them. I think they protected the quarterbacks much better than they had in previous practices. So that was good. On the on the flip side, maybe I wanted to see more of a pass rush from the defense. Uh, the one thing that the defensive line did do well is get their hands up to bat down a bunch of passes. There were, I don't know, probably three or four or five passes batted, batted down at the line, uh, which I think is a, a good sign as far as if you're not going to get to the quarterback, then get your hands on the ball. Freshman that uh, made an impact that you didn't expect. That I didn't expect. Well, Raylan Goforth got a ton of first team reps. Uh, they are putting him in there. You know, John Houston's a senior. They don't feel like they need to have him get tons and tons of reps in there and Raylan Goforth is now going to be called upon with Jordan Iacefa, uh injured for the time being. So uh, Raylan Goforth was in there with the ones for pretty much most of the scrimmage and I didn't expect that necessarily, uh, nor did I expect him to look as good as he did. I thought he held his own more than more than held his own, uh, which was very encouraging to see. All right. Last thought about the scrimmage before you move on. One thing that you need to see better uh, in Saturday's scrimmage, the full showcase at the Coliseum, 
compared to this past Saturday's first scrimmage? Less penalties. There were lots and lots of penalties, false starts, pass interferences, uh, holding or other similar kind of infractions. They got to clean that up because they've been t- too much e- too much emphasis on that kind of thing has been happening in this offseason for that many penalties to be uh, getting in the way on on in a scrimmage. I'm really anxious to see how having refs at practice every day affects the season pen- penalty total. If if that makes a dent, um, and the the other thing is if it does. That's going to get all the credit. And if it doesn't, people are going to just completely write that off. Well, uh, I'm, I'm it's just kind of zero sum in that sense. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, it's a good idea. It's a great idea. In fact, I don't know what else you can do in order to, to, to prevent those kinds of things. They've literally done the two things. If you went to me and said, OK, you have a team that's undisciplined and, and getting a lot of penalties. How do you fix it? The first thing I do is I say, well, OK, have refs at practice so that you know what you're doing wrong. And the second thing I, I say is, um, you know, have consequences. And every time there's a penalty, you know, who, you know how I know who commits a penalty during practice? I look for who's walking off the field because they come off the field. They do their up downs. They are being punished and, and they're losing that rep. So, like, I don't know what more they could do except for the ultimate thing, which is be better. A lot of them are technique kind of things and. And, you know, aside from just like be better, it's it's hard to limit those things. So it will be very interesting to see if this has an impact on the season, because when the answer is be better, it's not something you can address at practice in the sense of we're going to address this thing that will prevent us from getting penalties. You address it by just being better, which I I think that's the case for everything on this damn football team. Right. Like I. I'm telling you, I am to the point where I'm ready for this offseason to be 100% over and the season to come around because I am exhausted with how people talk about this team in, in every facet. I, I'm exhausted of the, the the glimmers of hope. I'm exhausted of the the pessimism. I'm exhausted of talking about Clay Helton. I'm exhausted about everything. I just want there to be football. And I want answers to come from the football itself because we can sit here and, you know, just complain about, you know, whether or not they wore pads in practice or whatever. And to me, it's all irrelevant. If you want to be better, be better. Like, if they're not going to be better if the, by wearing pads one or more days in the grand scheme of things. They're going to be better by just being better. But the problem is that being better is hard to quantify until you actually have games. Well, that's always been my thing about the pads is that like bad. Well, I, I don't bad, mean to like bring up a pads discussion. No, but the pads discussion is a, But the pads discussion is a thing where it's like it's a symptom, not a not a a cause or anything. Like, because well, if uh, SC's winning, no one's complaining about the pads. Right. Exactly. Or or more so, if USC has better assistant coaches and a coaching staff that is capable of being the best in college football, then. You know, the the number of days in pads would maybe be reflective of that, but it wouldn't make them a better or worse coaching staff. If you have the worst coaching staff in college football and you have your kids in pads every single day, they're not going to be any better for it. You you need the better coaching staff first. So to me, it's irrelevant right. because the, the strength of your coach, like your coaching staff is either good or it's bad, good enough or it's bad. And if it's bad then having more days in pads will literally have no impact and like there i guess my my thing is there are deeper issues than whether or not usc is is in pads on a particular day 
Right, and that's that's the thing. The deep issue is that USC needs to get better in every facet of the game. Yes. To 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 quote partially quote Coach Herman Boone, you need to be perfect in every aspect of the game, and SC needs to do that, including penalties. Uh, let's talk about an area in which USC is going to be potentially a little bit better. Cornerback, because guess what? Uh, Chris Steele is eligible to play immediately in 2019. The NCAA announced that they had cleared him. Uh, or Clay Helton announced this, uh, I believe it was a Monday or Tuesday, he announced that, that Chris Steele is immediately eligible. This is big news for USC because SC needs to replace literally everybody in the secondary and this is another guy who can potentially fill in immediately, especially if he's eligible to play immediately. Well, especially in coming out of Saturday where he saw a lot of first team reps. And that's partially because USC has, is doing this mix up in the shake up in the in the secondary where they're having Chase Williams practice at safety and Greg Johnson practice at nickel. They're calling it double training for those guys, uh, which means that they have, they're down a corner which means that Chris Steele and Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart are the guys who are getting first team run. And, uh, it, you know, I, I think that Chris Steele was one of the guys who maybe got um, who gave up a few more passes than you'd like to see in, in the scrimmage. But where where like someone like Adonis Ote was was getting burned by the second team guys uh, just and you pass it off as he's a true freshman in his first camp, like, you know, he's going to have to get used to life uh, going up against speedsters like Valus Jones. Uh, Chris Steele, I think, has uh, is closer to being sort of camera ready in terms of when he's giving up passes. He's he's right there on top of it. He's close. It's just little things that he needs to, to shore up um, that uh, that he's going to have a little bit, you know, a couple weeks now here to get ready to go. But in terms of looking like a contributor, he already looks like a contributor, which is a very, very, very good sign. Absolutely. And another good sign USC got was that Jordan ISF is only out four to six weeks. Uh, it is a dislocated knee, which sounds incredibly painful, and it seems weird to say that it's good that he's out four to six weeks, but compared compared to the alternative, which was him missing the year, like blowing out his knee or having an ACL tear or something like that, that would have been the worst case scenario. That's not the case after he went down with a knee injury uh, last weekend, uh, and it comes out earlier this week that he's going to be out four to six weeks. You mentioned uh, John Houston and how his reps are being you know, handled with Raylan Goforth. What happens for USC immediately um, in in lieu of this? Because we had kind of talked about it before, uh, I believe in our linebacker preview, that this was kind of be an interesting season for Jordan Isefa because they had changed the linebacker positions, and now he was, like, sharing a position with John Houston. Yeah, I mean, and and now they're they're getting ready for life without him with Raylan Goforth getting tons and tons of first team reps because they got to throw him into the fire quickly. So, you know, he's going to he's going to miss pretty much the first month of the season and then a lot of times, you know, yeah, sure, you're you're back and able to run around, but are you ready to for are you ready for a game? So, I don't know that USC can really expect to have him back until October. So at this stage is very much cross your fingers and hope that John Houston stays healthy and that uh, if Raylan Goforth has to get thrown into the fire, then you feel comfortable doing that. But, you know, Jordan Isefa, you would have felt really, you know, solid uh, if anything were to happen with with Houston. And if you needed a, 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 you know, a driver to where you need a bigger body in there to go up against a running team like Stanford or Utah. Uh, now I think you're just your your options are a little more limited unless Raylan Goforth really comes along, a la uh, you know Cam Smith, and 
if you see a lot of him, then that shows you just how impressive he's been uh, to the coaches. But at this stage, I think it feels like he's probably a break glass in case of emergency kind of situation. Uh, but he's doing very well in that. Yeah. So expect to see a lot of John Houston early on. Hopefully Jordan Isafer can come back and they can find a place for him because he, he's been productive for USC uh, at times in the last couple of years. It's going to be interesting to see how they get him onto the field. Uh, let's keep talking about fall camp. We're going to update the battles and go over the midway point uh, takeaways here in fall camp. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, I've put together a list of battle positions, uh, really four big battles that we've isolated quarterbacks, right tackle, center, and cornerbacks. Um, let's go through this one by one. I, w- I want to know where the battle stands as of right now. Uh, the midway point through camp, where are these battles going? Uh, we're going to talk about this next week when camp is over and probably the week after that when we finally get some sort of a depth chart or something or some idea of what's going on on game week. Uh, so quarterback, you got JT Daniels versus Jack Sears versus Matt Fink versus Keaton Slovis. You mentioned Fink had a good day on Saturday. Sears had his moments. JT had his moments. Keaton Slovis has moments. How do you quantify that battle right now? Is it still four guys? I know you think it should be two at this point, but what, what do you think? Well, I think it should be three at this point. Um, I think it would be ideal if it were three at this point or even two at this point. But after Saturday's scrimmage, I don't know. I don't know who those two or three should be. Uh, I think that things are still very equal. We're pretty much still where exactly where we were coming out of uh, spring camp in terms of evaluating these guys, which means that JT Daniels is on top. And, uh, you know, uh, on top because Ty goes to the Ty goes to the, to the incumbent. incumbent. Yes. OK. Yeah, that's that's sort or, of where- or. or- or tied on top because they're all literally interchangeable. I think tie goes to the incumbent is really where where it comes down to, and I don't think it's good that we're talking about a tie right now. I there there's a scenario where the tie is a good thing in the sense that like Max Brown and Sam Darnold being kind of tied at this stage was not the worst thing in the world because it meant that you had two quarterbacks that you felt pretty comfortable with. Where we're gonna get a lot of hate mail for that. I know, I know, uh, but uh, but right now I, I like. I think that Ty is sort of in a, in a, I would give the quarterbacks at this stage a C grade in terms of like their average, you know, C's get degrees and all that stuff. So they're average, but you know, you want you want to see the guy come out with a, you know, with, with an A at some point uh, in this, in this camp and no one's really, they're, they're just doing I think average work and a lot of it comes down to the inconsistency, which I've mentioned before. It's just like, you know, it's very rare that you see one guy have a a practice from start to finish where he's really feeling it from the first rep to the last rep. And the closest we've gotten to that was Matt Fink on Saturday. And, you know, quite frankly, Matt Fink had been falling way behind earlier in the week. So it's not like that one performance doesn't suddenly make him the favorite to win this job now. It just means that he he basically saved him, saved his bacon because if he didn't put in that performance on Saturday, it would have been very easy to write off and say, you know what? No, trim this to three things out of the running uh, where, you know, it was kind of like a he stayed the executioner's axe at that point. So here's the problem I have. And this kind of goes back into what we were talking about a couple of minutes ago. The the idea that you want to have see someone have control 
for the entire, you know, uh, an entire practice, and then you want to see it for two straight practices in a row, and so on. I 100% get that. But when you go back into what we've talked about before, about the it's the offense versus the defense, and if the offense has success, that means that the defense isn't, and, and vice versa, is a perfectly successful um, practice, and then two in a row, and then three in a row, is that even, is, is it practical to expect that? Like, I, I'm not trying to cape for the quarterbacks here. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what constitutes having that control? Is Are you wanting one of these quarterbacks to, ha- to like, complete 90% of their passes and throw 200 yards and three touchdowns? Or is it, or is there something else in there? Like, like what constitutes that? Because I don't necessarily think it's realistic to expect a perfect day out of everybody. Well, this is why anybody. This is why I've been hedging with like a, maybe I'm asking too much with every time I talk about the quarterbacks. Uh, but I think it also does come down to like I would like to see a minimi- minimization of each of their deficiencies, and I haven't seen that's a good way of putting it. The minimization of that, like. Minimization. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm I, running I like with it, it, dude. I'm running. I, with I, it. I dig it. I dig it. It, it yeah. rolls. It feels like a word, doesn't it? Minimization. Uh, minimization. Sure. I, I feel like I can say it too. Like it's Should like we put that on a t-shirt. Minimization. Along with hyperbole. How do you spell it? Minimization. Minimization. Like minimize. Take the e off the end. Put an a t i o t i o. Mina minimization. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That. All right. So m- minimize your deficiencies. Yes. yes. Which, for instance, that, that's a good way of putting it. For instance, like Jack Sears had a really great red zone drive in, in the scrimmage. And it was just like one of those like, well, it was his only drive with the first team. So, again, I, I have to like feel like I can't remember the last time I I feel like I don't see Jack Sears with the first team often enough. But when he's with it, like he does that kind of thing. So then it makes you think like, oh, maybe that ASU, maybe that ASU thing where he was, you know, with the first team and in command and being the gamer and all that kind of stuff. But then he has other drives and a lot of times they're with the second team where it just like, you feel like he's the, that inconsistency that he has that, that uh, quick trigger, the happy feet where he's getting out of the pocket too quickly and missing opportunities as a result where he's getting out on the run and then flinging a ball, you know, too high or too low for somebody. And it's just wide, uh, you know, widely inaccurate and, and that kind of thing. You see that too. You see that daily from him, right? So he hasn't calmed that down in the way that I wanted to see him. JT, uh, you know, I thought his opening drive um, in the in the uh, in the scrimmage, it felt like he had a little bit more of the urgency that I wanted to see from him in terms of the tempo that they were moving at. But at the same time, like that, the, you know, he had two cracks at that drive and they went nowhere. So I, I and and I don't know if that's if that's him not not getting the ball out quickly enough or not finding the right receiver or not having that right feel for the offense or. Whatever it is, it's just that often, you know, the offense wasn't really moving in, in that way. And, and it just everything felt a little slow and plodding, you know, uh, with Fink before Saturday, he had been, you know, not accurate, uh, a little all over the place. So he'd been unimpressive for the most part. And Keaton Slovis, you know, Keaton had been quite impressive, you know, going back to spring camp. But he's also thrown like half a dozen interceptions this week. So, you know. That's a problem, right? So it's really just those the 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 flaws of all of the quarterbacks are still a little bit too visible for me. And I would like to see this offense minimize those flaws, and we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, minimization of those deficiencies. Uh yeah. I, I that that's completely fair. 
so I'm now I'm going to ask you the question that you probably hate. Rank them. Oh, God. Gun to your head, rank them. <sighs> okay, like I've already said, all things being equal, JT is one. Yep. Um, hmm. The problem is, Keaton was a solid two until he threw two interceptions during the scrimmage and couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. So, like, how much do I weigh the scrimmage? I want to weigh the scrimmage more than practice because the scrimmage is, you know, live football and, and it's supposed to tell you more, right? So I feel like I got to demote him a little bit. But I also don't want to, like, give Matt Fink credit for one good day out of six. You know, you can't you can't have five mediocre days and then come out with six and suddenly, you know, you're you're the star. Like, I don't think that's the case. Uh, Sears, again, I, I question how he does. But at the same time, half of the time when I'm critical of what he's doing, I look out at who's who's on the offensive line. And I think, huh, well, that makes sense. You know, the the the. The random walk-ons whose name I don't know are out there right now on the offensive line. So, you know, that's that's a struggle. So I'd probably still go, I'd go JT, Sears, Fink, and Slovis. And I'm maybe overvaluing Fink a little bit and undervaluing Slovis a little bit. But I, I do want to say, as impressive as... Keaton has made some really impressive throws and he's gotten a lot of good publicity. But he's also thrown a lot of interceptions this week, this past week. And I think that's so you're getting saying downplayed. He's looked like a freshman. Yes, yes, he's looked like a freshman. Shocker! I know, right? He should be making these mistakes in practice. Make those mistakes in practice and learn from them. Uh, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, yeah. So the way I'm taking what you're saying is, it's JT Daniels. Then it's everybody else. Yes. Everybody else is in a cluster. Um, you know, putting Slovis four doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be four tomorrow, but. He's four today. Well, he was he was two going on Saturday morning. Yeah. So right. you see how my how my flip flopping goes. Sure. So so they're super tight. Okay, got it. All right. Let's talk, let's talk about the offensive line. Right tackle Drew Richmond versus Jalen McKenzie. This has been a little bit interesting because it hasn't quite been a battle like we would have expected. Uh, because Austin Jackson has been eased in after his bone marrow donation for his sister. So that means that. Drew Richmond and Jalen McKenzie have both getting first team reps at tackle, uh, not necessarily at right tackle. So how do you see this battle through, you know, a, a week and a couple of days? Yeah, I like you said, I expected this to be a battle and it hasn't been. Jalen McKenzie has been really solid at right tackle. And honestly, and maybe this is unfair, but there has been a noticeable difference when Austin Jackson is in there at left tackle versus when Drew Richmond is in there at left tackle. And and I think that um, I, I don't want to draw too many conclusions from this, but I do think that since Austin Jackson has come back, the pressure generated by USC's defensive front, particularly on that side, has been noticeably reduced. And so I, I think that Drew Richmond was maybe given up some uh, given up some pressures uh, early on, which I can't blame him because he's he's learning a new offense, he's coming in fresh, he's thrown into the fire there so it's understandable but uh i i don't see i haven't seen anything from him to suggest that he's even now in competition with jalen mckenzie because i thought jalen mckenzie has had a pretty solid camp so far too so uh that like a lot of these battles it just really hasn't materialized so jalen mckenzie's number one for you right now yeah i don't i don't see any reason to I mean, the week two will be a little different because I think Austin Jackson will be good to go and maybe we'll see more. Maybe we'll see Drew Richmond at right tackle, but we just really haven't even seen him there. So it's hard to really judge that. All right. Let's talk about center. Brent Nealon 
and Justin Dietrich. Uh, we, we talked about this before. In spring camp, it was supposed to be a battle there, but Brett Nealon mostly got first-team reps, and Justin Dietrich mostly got second-string string reps, and it kind of seemed like Nealon had an advantage going into fall camp. Has that played out uh, here through the start of fall camp? Yeah, Nealon is very well established as the center. I don't think there's any question. It's It's gone exactly as we thought it, it would. Uh, the other thing about the scrimmage that I forgot to mention in terms of things I want to see different, there were quite a few questionable snaps going on there. And it wasn't just Justin Dietrich and it wasn't just Gino Canones. Uh, Brett Nealon had, a, had a, a, you know, a couple that were a little, a little inaccurate. So I'd like to see them tighten that up a little bit. Uh, but it's very clear to me that Brett Nealon is the guy. And there's very, there's no question whatsoever. All right. Talk about corners. Elijah Griffin versus Isaac Taylor Stewart versus Greg Johnson versus Chris Steele versus whoever the hell else you want to throw in there because there's a million dudes in, on that depth chart. Um, I know it's not straight up person versus person versus person versus person because there's left and right uh, corner. There's two positions, but. How how are those positions shaping up right now? Yeah, it's actually been more straightforward than I thought it would be, honestly. Uh, it's very much those four. And it's been a little bit complicated now that Greg Johnson is doing work at Nickel, uh, which I think will make it even, in a weird way, a little bit even more straightforward. I think that Elijah Griffin and Isaac Taylor Stewart are set up to, set up to start the season as the starters, and Chris Steele will be a often-used contributor. And uh, I think eventually Chris Steele might get a start or two as as the season progresses. But the pecking order there is pretty, pretty solid. You know, it's Elijah Griffin, Isaac Taylor Stewart, Greg Johnson will be thrown in somewhere wherever there's a, an opportunity. And Chris Steele will get his reps early. So you mentioned, you know, Greg Johnson getting time at nickel, partially because Chase Williams has gotten some time at safety. It's part of this double training I, I know this is not the time to ask this question, but I think going into camp and, and really going into this offseason, I think we were thinking that Talanoa Hufanga was USC's best defensive back. Is there a chance it's Chase Williams and not Talanoa Hufanga? Because Chase Williams has, has impressed. Is that possible? Oh, that's an interesting question. Not that it matters, but I'm just I'm just hmm. curious. Well, okay, so... Like, I, like he's, he's solidly in, in the... the Clancy best 11, right? Yes. Chase Williams is definitely solidly in the Clancy best 11. I think that um, Chase Williams' versatility works very well for him for the way that Clancy likes to run his defenses. So I would say that Talanoa is probably still a better defender in terms of natural ability, instinct, uh, playmaking ability, all of those things. But Chase Williams has an advantage in that they're very comfortable with him playing safety. They're very comfortable with him playing nickelback. And I think if things got desperate enough, they would probably throw him in at, at, at corner, too, at this stage. So I, I won't say that he's the best defender, but I think he it might be very closely because, you know, taking over Jana Harris's role as Clancy's favorite because Clancy loves a guy that he can use anywhere. And that's exactly what Chase Williams is doing. And I think it tells you something that, you know, the first team reps are going to Chase Williams right now as opposed to any of the other safeties that they have out there, you know, uh, CJ Pollard, Britton Allen, Doran Hewitt, all of those guys, Jordan McMillan, even none of them are getting the first team reps. They feel more comfortable throwing Chase Williams in there uh, as a, as a potential stand in for, for Hafanga. So it tells you where he stands in terms of the, the perception from the coaching staff. Yeah. And Dominic Davis's Heisman 
campaign is still unquestioned, right? Yeah. Sorry to break it to you, Michael, but Dominic Davis is probably on the fringe here as far as playing time is concerned. I, I, I this is, you are fake news. I'm just saying. <laughs> you, you are absolute fake news. Uh, let's go into some midway point camp takeaways. Uh, I am going to run down some questions. You are going to answer them. Uh, first one, what have you liked so far, uh, you know, midway through through camp? Give me three things you've liked. All right. What I've liked is the first team secondary uh, in, in the sense that, you know, we've been talking all offseason about how this secondary could be a disaster for USC, but it also could be very good if things go right. And I think when it comes to the first team, guys, things are more or less going right. I think Elijah Griffin has come back impressive. I think Isaac Taylor Stewart has stayed impressive from his spring camp. Uh, the introduction of Chris Steele has been mostly positive. Greg Johnson looks like he's improving day to day in terms of his confidence, in terms of his uh, uh, composure. He's, I, I think he's still probably of those of those guys the most susceptible uh, to having a breakdown. But the transformation from him from last season in the fall when it looked like he just was totally devoid of confidence, he's really come a long way in that sense uh so those guys plus the the safeties uh Bolamau and 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 Afonga and the nickel chase williams it feels very solid and the first team there at the very least like the first team secondary was not really the problem in the scrimmage yeah and that's that's what you want to see right like you, you want to be able to see a i think you want to see a change in the first to second team because you want your first team to be defined in the sense that you know that they're better. Um, but you also want depth and you want your second team to be able to, to make up that gap and have uh, to minimize what was, what we say? Minimization of the minimization of the deficiencies. Yes. Yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. Big words. SAT yeah. words. Yeah. All right. Uh, your, your next point, we have a rundown, so I know what you're going to say. Uh, you know, this is a production here. Uh, and we, we have some new drops for this. My God, Ben Griffith. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. I mean, that's what have I liked about fall camp? The most exciting yeah. thing about tell, fall camp tell has me been about the, the Boomin' Onion. <laughs> oh, you and your nicknames. This one's better than Benny Starboard. So I'll give you credit for that. It's Star Benny Starboard. Yeah. Yeah. Benny Starboard boat, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, no, Ben Griffiths has been the most exciting thing about fall camp. And uh, normally that would be a bad thing if you're talking about the punter more than anybody. But he's really been genuinely exciting. Like, just the the command of his punts, the hang time of his punts, the power of his punts. Just, you know, everything about him is uh, there's there's uh, the variety of punts he's able to put down there. Uh, the, he makes me drool. Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean... I shared this on one of the practice car casts uh, last week that, you know, I was we were watching him punt from about midfield and, the, the it, you know, there's sort of like pooch punt, the, the kind of punt that you want to pin the opponent down inside their 10 yard line, whatever. And he's hitting it inside the five in the same little quadrant five, six times in a row, like two, two within a foot of each other, all of these punts coming down. And when he finally did... <laughs> Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. When when he finally ha- took one out of that little circle that he was basically, like, putting him on a plate on, uh, it was still at the 10-yard line. So, like, 
This dude's ridiculous. And that's not even getting into on his booming punts, you know, the booming onion stuff. Uh, booming. Booming onion. The, no G. Booming. The booming onion. Uh, yeah. We're talking like five seconds hang time every single time. No less than at any point. Like it's... No one's going to return a punt against USC this year. No one. Hey, SC did that. Literally almost did that a couple of years ago. Yeah. I think they had like one punt returned uh, in Pac-12 play. It went for 14 yards. Uh, I think that was 2016. So, um, or 2017, I remember. Uh, but I just want, this to me would be the funniest thing of all time if he was one and done. I don't know if he's going to live up to the hype. I We got to see this in the game, right? Um, but it would be hilarious if he ended up being a one-and-done guy. Like, he was so good, runs away with the Ray guy, and then declares for the NFL draft and gets drafted by, like, the Raiders in the third round. Tell me that would not be hilarious. It would be very sad. <laughs> I'm looking forward to more hilarious. than, more than hilarious. one year. Now, the only thing, if they want to give you hope of more than one year of Ben Griffiths. Now, the call of the NFL could be enough for him to just go but he's consistently talked about the reason he came to america is for a degree is yeah. to get his degree like to get his education for free <laughs> so again he the dude hasn't even actually punted in a game yeah yet, so no but he's gonna win the right guy the and he's gonna be an all-american <laughs> book it wait hold, hold on are you 100 percent making those I'm, predictions i'm guaranteeing there? you that uh that that he is an all-american punter and wins You're the Ray guaranteeing guy. this? Guarantee. Write it down. My bold prediction for the next four years, maybe. Wait, four years? You, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be. You don't want to be no cookin'. No. <laughs> don't want to be no cookin'. Yeah. Yeah. No. But, no. All right. Uh, your, your other. Your last thing that you liked. Uh, let, let, let's let's go to some baby steps and talk about your last thing. Yeah, literally. Uh, Marquis Step, I think, has taken some strides uh, in this week of fall camp. The biggest thing for me is that he's... Wait, hold on. Did you try to do that? Did that I? Marquis Step has taken some strides? I totally did. That, that was all by accident. That was, that was pretty good. I wasn't... That was pretty good. I, I, I didn't even clock it until you mentioned it. But yes, he, I, I think that he's catching the ball much more comfortably out of the backfield, much more fluidly out of the backfield. Still has some work to do. Talk to Mike Jinks. Last week about, you know, what he has to work on. And he mentioned, you know, the all around game, the mental side of the game, all of those kinds of things. But in terms of his pass catching, like it's it's night and day. He couldn't he couldn't catch anything this time last year. And now he's making not just routine catches, but he's making really good catches where he has to go up in the air to get it and come down and turn up field. And he's doing them very fluidly, doing them much more naturally, uh, which is a, a, a huge moment of progression for him as an all around back. Uh, so we'll see how he continues to, to go forward, but it's been, it's been very positive from him, uh, for this first week of camp, especially because he's just gotten more opportunities with Vivai Malapai being out injured. All right. Let's talk about what you have not liked. Uh, spoiler alert, quarterback battle. Uh, that's your first thing on here. We've kind of talked about that before, so we can just go on to number two. Yeah, exactly. The, the quarterbacks we've, we've talked about, uh, so I won't get into it more, but Number two is um is the questionable depth, uh, not just in the secondary, but in other places. The inside linebackers are looking a little shaky in terms of depth. Uh, Isn't that weird, though? Because we thought that, you know, them condensing the, the linebacker core to uh, just a couple of positions, two positions and then like a half position, yeah. essentially, uh, that it was going to, you know, create a lot of depth there because, you know, SC had six linebackers in last year's class, right? So 
there should be a lot of depth there. Where is that depth? Is it just injuries? Like what? 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 What happened? I think it's in. Well, it's it's Solomon Tuliapupu hasn't been able to practice. Still, we're hoping to get him back for fall camp, and that obviously hasn't happened. Jordan Iasefa going out, cut into cut into it. Um, they had to move Elijah Winston over from the outside spot to fill in. So, what felt like really good depth, I think, was you know there were some bodies there, but when you lose two of them, then you're losing a whole sort of uh, rank on your depth chart worth of depth. So, and that's not the, you know, offensive line depth is really poor. Um, The wide receiver depth is not as good as they want it to be. You know, they have, you have a lot of really good quality receivers and the freshmen are coming on really nicely too, but they're talking about like, you know, Graham Harrell in a perfect world would have 10 wide receivers in the rotation uh, or, and they're going to barely have eight if all of the freshmen work out and if all the freshmen are involved. So the depth there isn't that great either. And it's been noticeable too, in the start of camp, they talked about how, you know, it's going to be okay that we have the four quarterbacks splitting reps because we're going to two-spot. We're going to have a lot of extra reps because we're doing that. They haven't been able to two-spot. So, you know, the the depth is is better than it's been at times in the past, but it's not so good that I'm sitting here, you know, anxiety-free over it going into this season. Which brings me on to my—I'm just going to jump straight into to number three that I haven't liked because it's it's semi-related— the number of injuries already is a little bit concerning, and this might be the kind of thing I'm always saying that you know I don't I don't know how much of this is just because we have access and we know who is injured and what the you know who is and isn't practicing and all of those kinds of things, but you know Solomon Tulipupu not being able to practice is a bummer. Uh, Brew McCoy not being able to practice is a bummer. Uh, Vavai Malapai being out injured is a bummer. Jacob Lichtenstein hasn't been able to practice that's a bummer. Uh, Brandon Peely has been injured that's a bummer. Um, Isaac Taylor Stewart missed a day or two. Talano Hafanga apparently isn't injured, but sort of isn't really out there practicing for some unknown reason that they're calling depth, uh, that they're calling uh, double training. But to me, sort of reads like we don't want to risk his collarbone getting in trouble again. Um, you know, there's just, uh, you know, Austin Jackson has been slowed and uh, there's been Josh Follow has been sort of in and out occasionally and. I don't know. The whole thing is just USC is is standing on a knife's edge when it comes to the injuries because things could be really good if they can stay healthy. But that knife's edge is is that if where things can go real bad if they don't stay healthy. And how how much of these are injuries and how much of these are it's fall camp and you want to be precautious. Okay, so here's cautious. Yes. You want to be cautious. Cautious. Yes. Or or have that's that's the word. Take precautions, I think, is another way to put it. Right. Okay, you well, can speak English better than me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll grant you that. Not not the speaking English thing thing, but like the being cautious, right? I get that. But when you're cautious, you're also losing practice time and losing practice reps for players for who, sure. yeah, players who might be good, but they are all players who contributed to a five and seven season, which means that they're not so good that they don't need the reps. You know, like that's why right. jo- John Houston didn't get a lot of reps uh, in 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 the scrimmage and. I get it. You need to throw Randall, sorry, Raylan, go forth in there and and get him as many extra reps as possible. But also, like John Houston isn't so great that he doesn't need any more reps. Like everyone on this team could use as much practice as they possibly can get. So anytime someone's sin- sitting out, it's not necessarily long term injury concerns that are bugging me. It's there were a lot of players last year and, and in past years where they hardly practiced because they were always carrying this, that, or the other thing. And 
the trend of that continuing is a little bit of a concern for me, even though I don't know how to prevent it. Because I know you do have to be smart and you don't want to rush people back. But it's still I I, I think it's the more more of a thing where I don't I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but I'm highlighting I'm highlighting this as a concern for the season, because if the injuries are are present, then that will impact the way USC is able to play football games. For sure. I get that. I I would just say it's it's early on in camp. I want to see what happens in two weeks and three weeks uh, and when the season starts. Um, how those kind of things change, because I think if they played a game this week, you know, those guys are probably practicing a lot of those guys. Yeah, I think I'm just a little bit gun shy when it comes to like the injury thing. It, it just worries me a little bit because USC can't survive another injury crisis the way that they had some injury crises in, in 2018. Let's talk about things USC needs to improve in the final week of fall camp. Give me three things. Yeah, I just want to see somebody separate in the quarterback battle. I want somebody take a step forward. Somebody or two somebodies, however many somebodies it is, somebody take command of that job. Like I, I think you mentioned it earlier, if you had it cut down to three now and then two after this, that would be you, you'd feel a little bit better about it. Um, uh, maybe in a perfect world, you had it two now and then one next week or whatever it is. But you want to be able to make that 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 separation a little bit more clear. You want the uh, like the separation of the lunar module. Just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. With that sound, sound effect, effects, too. No. Yeah. Yeah, not really. Uh, what, what else does USC need to improve? Uh, I just want to see more depth and more of the guys come back healthy. I, I want to see Austin Jackson be able to practice for the full week. I want to see Vivai Malapai come back to, to practice. There's hope that he can come back for week two. Uh, I want to see Solomon Tulupubu in cleats. I don't even need to see him in pads or anything like that. I just want to see him out there running around with a trainer at the very least because that's a sign of progress. Um, John Jackson, the third, I'd like to see him back in action. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see Jacob Lichtenstein also progressing to a point where it feels like he might even be able to, to contribute. Uh, Max Williams is also a guy who's been on the sideline for a couple of days now. I want to see him back out looking like he can contribute. So the more of the guys that were, that have been standing on the sideline all week, you know, in just their jerseys and sneakers, the more of them that are in cleats at the very least in week two will ease some of my concerns about USC's injury and, and depth uh, situation. Yeah, that'd go a long way uh, in giving some more confidence for this team, for sure. Uh, last thing, what's the one last final thing USC needs to get better at in the final week of, of fall camp? I think the second team secondary has a long way to go. Uh, it's been interesting hearing Chris Hawkins talking on the sideline because he's right near the media pen, talking to other coaches about, you know, we got a long way to go which is something that coaches sometimes say just because that's what they're saying. But yeah, the second team secondary, um, the quicker they progress, the quicker we see guys like Adonis Ote and Dorian Hewitt and Britton Allen and and those guys sort of start to settle in and lights start to click, then the better that depth will feel as well. Because, for instance, in the scrimmage, a lot of the big plays that happen downfield were at the expense of that second team secondary. All right, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll open up the mailbag. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to a voicemail we got from our pal Cameron in Frisco. Hey, Randa Troy, it's Cameron from Frisco, Texas. I just want to be the first one to say, first of all, Alicia, you're right when it comes to the USC Media Guide. I totally believe you. I totally buy into the whole words. 
when it comes to the player descriptions for each position, especially for the quarterbacks with JT Daniels, Jack Sears, Massey. Um, my whole philosophy is actions speak louder than words, but at the same time, words do speak some, to some volume. So that's where I'm taking it. That's my backing. I 100% back Alicia on it, and I think and 100% say she's right, and I totally believe it. Second of all, Michael, here's your little shout-out. Thanks to your whole little intake a few months ago about um, your top five favorite Netflix shows or your favorite TV shows to watch. Um, I remember you talked about how you love Breaking Bad. Uh, I forgot how much I love Breaking Bad so much, so I started to rewatch it, and I forgot how amazing it is. Um, Breaking Bad is incredible, incredible show. Um, so shout-out to you, Michael. Um, my question is, so I was actually watching a couple YouTube videos of someone called SG1 Sports, and they do these NCAA football simulation game they did one for usc byu and usc notre dame for this up and coming season um usc during the simulation usc beats byu jt daniels goes off obviously but then the one thing that i was really puzzled by was that usc upsets notre dame and south bend 20 to 17 and my intake is how in the world does usc beat notre dame i think the only reason and the only reason I'm thinking of is that Ian Book goes out with the goes out with the season with the season any injury. Give me any validation or any reasoning behind USC actually beating Notre Dame. Because for right now, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I think Notre Dame's going to beat us. I have no reason to believe USC is going to pull off the upset. Just one of your intake. Thanks. Thanks for the call, as always, Cameron. Yeah, uh, Breaking Bad's awesome. I, I I loved it, and I'm mad at myself for taking forever to watch it. So if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Um, to talk about USC and Notre Dame, I, I think it's pretty simple. I think the case is pretty simple. I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but I think that the what it would take is pretty simple. SC needs to play clean. Look at last season. Notre Dame was you know undefeated coming into the Coliseum with the playoff spot on the line, and if SC plays a clean game, they maybe win that game, right? And, and that was a 5-7 and seven team. And we're talking about USC that that has areas to improve. Well, if they improve on some of those areas and they're better, and let's just say they, they're an 8-4 and four team, hypothetically. They're an 8-4 and four team, right? So that means that they would have gotten a little bit better. Well, if they've gotten a little bit better and they play clean, yeah, they have a chance. Look at how much talent is on this roster. And I know that it's it's exhausting to always say, well, the the, the talent is on this roster, but the truth is, SC can win any game on their schedule. There's not a single game in which they have no chance. Uh, I think that if they play as they did last season, then there's several games that will end up feeling like they have no chance for sure. But there's, it's not like they're, it's not like these games are impossible to win. So I think if you're USC, you can't, you can't have turnovers before the half. Like I'm on St. Brown fumbling the ball there. You, you can't. You know, Michael Pittman fumbled at like the forty-yard line. Well, they also let's say gave up a big, the, uh, couple big touchdowns on a on runs and stuff like that. Like yeah, just defensive breakdowns, one play breakdown. Let's, let's say you don't have those those two fumbles and you get points on those drives. It's conservatively you get ten points, right? One of them's a fumble. I mean, one of them's a field goal. One of them's a touchdown. You get ten more points. Well, you were up ten nothing to start that game. 10 more points in the first half is a big deal. It's not like Notre Dame scored 50 in that game. So there's ways that SC can can get better and, and to make it closer. Uh, would I predict it right now? Hell no. But I don't think that it, I, I, I don't think that it's impossible. 
it's just a matter of we need to actually see USC get better in games so we can see that it's possible and not just say that it's impossible, not impossible. The other aspect of this, too, is has less to do with USC, uh, aside from the fact that I think everyone can acknowledge USC has tons of talent on the roster. But one of the interesting things about USC's schedule, as difficult as it is, there are no unbeatable juggernauts on that schedule. I think that there is a healthy bit of skepticism about every good team on USC's schedule, Notre Dame included. Brian Kelly is not impervious. Brian Kelly is not Nick Saban or Dabo Swinney. And Notre Dame is not Alabama or Clemson in the sense that Notre Dame has been beaten by teams that aren't elite. Uh, Notre Dame has faltered at times. Same goes for Washington. I think there's a healthy dose of skepticism about Washington. It may be acknowledged that, you know, they they are arguably the best team in the Pac-12, but that doesn't mean that anyone would be that surprised if USC was able to sneak up on them and sort of expose them. So I think that comes into play as well, where if the if Notre Dame, you know, swap Notre Dame with Alabama and you're not having this conversation. Well, I think it's SC has a bunch of teams that could potentially be ranked 10 to 20 on their roster yeah. on their schedule. You know, Notre Dame, Washington, Utah. Uh, I don't know, Stanford, Oregon, like all these are teams that feel like at some point they'll be ranked between 10 and 20 on the season. Teams ranked 10 to 20 don't go undefeated. They lose games. Uh, case in point, whenever SC's been ranked 10 to 20, they'll lose a game, right? Happens all the time. So it's not like it's Alabama, like you mentioned, but that doesn't mean that SC doesn't have any less of a uh, of a gap to close. SC absolutely has to get better. Um, a lot, uh, you know, a hell of a lot. And by the way, I, I just pulled up the the simulation from Two G One Sports. So SC wins twenty to seventeen. Uh, SC was ranked fifteenth. Notre Dame was twelfth in this simulation, and SC scored on a quarterback keeper by JT Daniels. Yeah, could happen. I've seen it. Like a, it it's happening. A little zone read keeper. Yeah, he he's he's scored a touchdown on with with his feet. I think in camp. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it'll happen all the time. So maybe, (laughs) maybe. Uh, I mean, it's only uh, on a video game that's been defunct for five years. Uh, Let's go to a Patreon message from Mike. Uh, Michael and Alicia, after listening to your takes on potential 9 a.m. Pacific Pac-12 games, I just want to give you a couple of things to consider. Roughly 76% of the U.S. population lives in either the central or eastern time zones, which means that the Fresno State kick game kicks off no sooner than 9.30 p.m. for approximately three-quarters of the football fans in the United States. As for the argument that SC just needs to get better, I'm afraid it simply doesn't hold water. I lived in Illinois during the peak of the Pete Carroll era, and SC was rated in the top 10 and was playing a top 10 opponent all the time, and the game was still preempted by a Southern Illinois game. I now live in Texas, and I don't care if SC is ranked number one, they're not going to preempt an SC an SEC game to show USC play. I can no longer watch the Pac-12 network as AT&T U versus dropped it. If you guys have to eat breakfast burritos and drink your beers after the game a couple times a season, so I get to watch a game or two in normal hours, I'll gladly pass you the hot sauce. Love your show and keep up the great work. Mike from Full Shear, Texas, class of 86. Thanks for the email or for the message, Mike. And also the irony is that neither of us would eat hot sauce with our breakfast burritos. But uh, <laughs> That's a good point. That but is he, is, point. he is from Texas and I know how they love their hot sauce on their burritos. So 
I, I'll, I'll give it a pass. Now, I think I think Mike brings up some some reasonable arguments, particularly the the U.S. population. And if you're trying to play to the East Coast fans, I, I get it. I do. But at the same time, I've always come down on the side of time zones are time zones and you can't really control them. And I think that playing games at 9 a.m. is bad for the product that you're putting on the field. So if you have USC and Washington playing at 9 a.m. and they play bad football, you haven't really helped your case for trying to get don't, one don't of the you, two. Don't you make it worse? That's what I think. I think you make it worse for getting one of the two in the, into the playoff, for instance. So, um, like, again, I, I get it. I see the reasons for it. But also, you know, you're you're on the West Coast and you just sort of have to live with with what it is that you're that you're doing and to i mean to be fair as we've always said usc fresno state is at 7 30 because usc and fresno state are not juggernaut teams when usc in the Pete well, carroll era hold on hold on hold on sc played fresno state on prime ticket yeah in in, in 2005 yeah they would not play prime ticket at 7 30 in 2000 uh, this like this year if usc if 2005 usc was this year's usc team they wouldn't necessarily. Well, I mean, the worst SC kickoff, would, the worst kickoff that USC would get would be the Friday or Thursday kickoffs that they would get. But by they the would nature still play of, a seven thirty Pac twelve after dark game occasionally, but not that not not as often as they will this year. But I I beg to differ. I think you have to factor in it's the, where the money is, right? Well, that seven thirty ESPN game, as much as you know, some people don't like it. Is the second wealthiest game on US? I mean, on the Pac-12 schedule, right? But if um, USC's number when USC plays Washington, if USC's number one, number one USC and number five Washington, it's the five o'clock game. It's not a seven thirty kickoff. You know, sure, USC Fresno sure, State but, is a seven thirty kickoff because it's USC Fresno State. Just like there are, you know, Ohio State plays, you know, Rutgers at nine a.m. Uh, you know, Pacific, those are not necessarily like super prime time games. Like, right. But it, but it takes two to tango, right? Like there's a lot of assumptions in saying USC is going to be number one and Washington's going to be number five. No, I'm saying if USC like, cause, cause he's talking about like the, the, uh, if, if USC was simply better, it wouldn't really make a difference. Well, I, I, I beg to differ. I think if USC is better, they're getting more prime time games, i.e. 5 PM games. Here's the thing though, about, about the nine thirty thing. So if or in the nine nine a.m. games, so if if that's going to happen, it's going to be on Fox. Um, so it would be, um, the Fox twelve thirty or twelve Eastern game, right? So it'd be twelve Eastern is Fox's window, uh, and then twelve thirty our time at three thirty Eastern is the SEC window, and then five Pacific eight Eastern is the primetime game. None of those games are going to be on at the same time. So that is the goal. That's the reason why this whole 9 a.m. thing is being considered. Secondly, about the the idea of, you know, Southern Illinois preempting a SC game back then. Yeah, because the TV landscape was different. Uh, every game is on TV now. You can find the game anywhere. I know that, you know, the, the Pac-12 network, the carriage for that game, is, I mean, for for the network isn't great, but every game's on TV somewhere, and any, anyone can get it somehow, which is not what you could have said 10 years ago or 20 years ago or anything like that. The other thing to consider, too, is that we're living in a playoff era with a playoff committee. You know, when Pat Hayden was on that playoff committee, he talking about he was 
on the treadmill every morning watching games. So it's not like, you know, the the people who matter in terms of ranking, like it's not like random AP voters who aren't watching every game who are just sort of like regionally filling in their brackets with their regional biases. Like the, the playoff committee people are actually putting in a lot of study time to see. So like, I don't think the time that you play your game matters as much as it used to. I don't necessarily think that the playoff people are watching games differently than an AP writer. I think they are actually putting in like, cause I know AP writers probably aren't watching games on a treadmill on Sunday morning. Like, well, I I think a beat, well, I think it depends who that voter is. Well, but how many beat right? Most of the AP voters are beat writers who have a lot of other work that they're doing instead of, you know, queuing up USC's USC for if, if, yeah, if you're a we, Texas we, beat writer like you're not queuing up USC Fresno State from the night before to watch well in the morning you're doing sure. your work I'll, I'll give you that that's a good point I just I mean, think we've it's a always said landscape. That, that it's difficult to like vote for like football writers association awards because who the hell am I to say I who the decli- best I declined to vote. I declined to vote because I genuinely don't. I can't speak to who the best tight end in the country is. So I'm not going to cast my vote because I'm not going to blindly do that. But the the one the last thing on this email that I want to mention, uh, which is Mike mentions that he can't watch the Pac-12 network. If we want to talk about like things that are a bigger deal for the Pac-12 for me, the Pac-12 network is the bigger deal. The the licensing deals for the Pac-12 network. It's not about what time you're playing football games. It's about how many households your network is in and the the, the Lack of of access in in as many households as Directv and AT and T Universe have. That's the bigger thing for me. Let's work that one out before we uh go to nine p.m. nine a.m. games. But that's just me. Yeah. the The other thing is if if the Pac twelve is going to play a nine a.m. game, we're talking like one or two. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be like thirty that are going to be on the Pac twelve network this year. So that's that's kind of the difference there. Uh, but yeah, great message from Mike. Thank you. Uh, let's go to a tweet we got from Steven. Uh, though no quarterback has stood out enough to win the starting job, do you think at least the top two to three quarterbacks have enough talent to bring this team to a Rose Bowl, or would you say they are all underperforming? Hmm. 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 I think that um, I think that they are slightly underperforming relative to each other. But I do think once USC makes a decision, the offense might just sort of take over. And I think that someone like Jack Sears, just based on the nature of his style of play, will probably be a hell of a lot better in a game than he's ever been in practice, because that's literally what we've seen from him. Um, I think that JT, if he follows the Matt Barkley progression or the Josh Rosen progression, I think you would you would just naturally see improvement from him this year. And the offense having an identity will help improve his output as well, just on its own. So I could see him leading USC to a Rose Bowl if the other aspects of US team, USC's team were better. I think that's one of the things that like people overlook when they talk about how like Sam Darnold is a one-man team dragging a bad team. Like The 2017 USC team was not the same as the 2018 USC team. Like the 2016 the 2016 USC team was not the same as the 2018 team. There were other aspects of that team that allowed Sam Darnold to elevate them to the levels that they were. And I think that this team would have to have those same elements in order for me to say that any of the quarterbacks will bring them to a Rose Bowl because you need a functioning offensive line. You need a functioning defense. You need a defense that's getting sacks. You need a defense that's making plays. You need receivers who are catching the ball and not 
having it fumble out of their hands and, you know, in key positions, all of those things. It, it is a team sport, guys. I, I feel like we lose sight of that sometimes, but it is a team sport and the quarterbacks will be very key to what USC does this year, but they are also just a cog in the machine too. Yeah. I, I think that, yeah, if SC's going to get to the Rose Bowl, it has more to do with everybody else than just the quarterback. I, I agree there. Um, and I think it comes down to, we need to see what the scheme means for this offense. Uh, Cause like I mentioned earlier, like it, does the quarterback need to be great to, for, for the team to play well? I don't necessarily think so. I think they're in the, the old scheme, I think that was more necessary, right? I think the quarterback needed to play better for the scheme to work. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think that's one of the reasons for the air raid is to make it simpler. Take the pressure off of your playmakers. Make it easier for them to do their job. And in theory, that should make it simpler and make it easier and not have... You shouldn't have to have the number three pick in the NFL draft to win a Rose Bowl if you're USC and you have that much talent. But again, it goes back to having all that talent and getting a lot out of it in every area. Let's go to a tweet from Jarrell. Uh, Michael and Alicia have a simple question. Make that three. Explain to me if I can understand why is the USC versus BYU game being played at 1.15 in the afternoon? Does anyone not understand the temperature will be in the upper 90s? Plus, they will be playing at altitude of 5,000 feet. Thanks for the tweet. Uh, I think this is mostly due to BYU's contract with ESPN. Um, ESPN carries all of their home games, so ESPN has the the ability to schedule when those games are. So it's going to be at 1, uh, yeah, 115, 130, whatever, Provo time, uh, which is... 1230, you know, out West. I, here's the thing I would say. The, I, I looked it up. The average September temperature in Provo is 81.6 degrees. Uh, last September 14th, because the game's going to be on September 14th this year. Last September 14th at 115. And this is according to weatherunderground.com. At 115, the temperature was 82. At 430, it was 87. That's just a normal day in LA. Like I don't think it's any different than 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 anywhere else. I think that that's a, a normal summer day in most cities in America, and I think that's those are the games that get played. No matter where you're going to have games, that's the temperature you're going to be looking at. Um, and there are concessions made for the Arizona schools, so that way they play night home games in September. And I think that if you're going to do that, it needs to be schools like Arizona that have 120 degree weather in September and on turf down in Tucson, that might be 136 degrees like it was a couple of Octobers ago. So I, I, yeah, it it might be hot, but September is hot sometimes. Well, somebody's got to play during the day, you know, like somebody's got to play at night. Somebody's got to play during the day. The nature of the TV monster is that. You now have windows where you're trying to get as many uh, as many games in front of as many people as possible. That means that somebody is going to have to play in September at one o'clock and somebody's going to have to play in right. September at 730. And as we've already had this discussion, somebody's going to complain about the 730 kick and someone's going to complain about the, the 115 kick. It's just, you know, there's always going to be a reason for it not to be ideal. And 
like you said, like, I think you need to give priority to the true weather concerns of like in Arizona compared to just it's hot outside. I mean, think about, you know, LSU and Florida are going to be playing whatever games they're playing, probably at, at a noon, noon, like noon kickoff 90, in 90 92. degree weather with 100 degrees humidity. So, right. Yeah. yeah you know, like th- th- that, this is going to be worse. The nature of the beast. Yeah, the, the dew point last September 14th, 27 degrees, which means that's a dry heat, folks. Uh, so 82 and a dry heat, it's not that bad. Not that bad at all. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Rod. What's the deal with Brew? Are we going to see him in fall camp? Um, So he is dealing with some sort of uh, illness. He's had a fever for a while and they're treating it with antibiotics it's been a weird sort of saga where apparently they haven't necessarily been able to figure out exactly what it is. It sounds like a freak random thing. Uh, but, you know, I, at this stage, I don't know. I mean, he could just turn up on Monday and, and all of a sudden he's out there practicing. But it could be it could take another week. Uh, he might not even be ready to practice. If think if he's had i mean he's been dealing with this thing for weeks i can only imagine what that's what it's done to his body you think about somebody like um whenever they get like mono and that kind of thing it it really wrecks havoc on your body and you might not be ready to get out there in pads uh for another few weeks of conditioning and all that which Wait, he hold has on. missed you mean in shells in shells, in, in shells. yeah this is usc yeah exactly but um no i mean it's it's increasingly looking like a fortuitous thing that he's probably not going to get cleared to play. So he can it might be best just to let him get right physically and, and then not try to rush him back. So are, are you saying you think he's got a fever of 103? Or do you say he's hot blooded? <laughs> I have no idea what his fever is, Michael. See, this is when I... I wish walk-up songs existed in football. And because then Brew could have the walk-up song of Hot Blood. Yeah, that would be great. That'd, that'd be awesome. Uh, let's go to Rod's second question. Are, are are we really deep enough at the safety position, and who can be on that second team? Uh, I don't think USC is deep enough on the safety position. I think they have bodies now, which is good, but I don't know that there are bodies that USC is ready to throw in there yet as evidenced by Chase Williams getting reps in that position. I think that you feel really, really comfortable with Isaiah Polamau and and uh, and Talano Hafanga. But if they're training Chase Williams, then, you know, that tells you that they they aren't ready to throw uh, Britton Allen or Dorian Hewitt or Kalana Makaula or any, any of the new guys that they added straight in. Uh, so, you know, I think... I feel okay about Chase Williams there. I thought he did a good job against Notre Dame, but you are very, as with a lot of other positions, you are on a knife's edge. Uh, Let's go to a tweet from Alex. Uh, Two questions. Uh, First is, it seems like Daniels is just holding serve instead of winning the job. Is that accurate? And would Sears be better if he got more reps with the first team? I love that, that, uh, Description holding serve very much that is what's going on right now. Daniels is holding serve, and it's probably going to win him the job. Um, ja- <laughs> I don't want to push this conspiracy theory, Michael. I really don't. But I genuinely come away every practice thinking, like, man, Jack Sears didn't get as many first team reps as the rest of them. And I like I know that's not true because they just cycle they cycle through the reps in a weird order. 
So it's actually hard to keep track. Like, for instance, on the scrimmage, it was JT, Fink, Slovis, Sears. And then we didn't see Fink for several drives where they went through the different things. So then it was like, you know, so then Slovis came back out again. And then it was like Slovis and JT and then Sears and then Slovis and then Fink came back later and they they all ultimately got more or less the same number of reps, but the order that they do it all in is weird and they cycle through the different days. So I don't know if Jack Sears is getting less reps, but I just, I would like to see him have a full day where I felt like he's getting all the first team reps and he's able to do something with it. Uh, the, the bigger issue I see is that he's not a practice quarterback and he would probably look a lot better if you told him he was playing in a real game that day, like gave him like virtual reality headset that made him think he was at the Coliseum with a big crowd or something like that. Hey, they make those now. Yeah, I'm sure Stanford uses them. Probably. Uh, let's go to a next question from Alex. Uh, one more question if you guys run out early. If you can only eat one thing for each of your meals for the rest of your life, what would you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And they all need to be different. Okay, so I guess that this is one breakfast, one lunch, and one dinner item for every day. Yes. I, I like this. This is better than the whole, like, pick one thing to eat for the only meal, which... The only answer is pizza. So this is a little bit different here. Yeah, well, one of the answers here is pizza, though. I just can't decide if it's lunch that's, or dinner. That's, that's the dinner option. I, I was thinking that lunch might make it a little more versatile because then you could like choose to fill up on the pizza or not and give yourself like the option of having something different for dinner. Like I can't think of anything else I'd want every day for dinner. Well, OK, so here's here's my pitch. Lunch and dinner. Pick one, you get pizza and you get burgers. Yeah, we're on the same page. Burgers for lunch, pizza for dinner, and breakfast, uh, See, I'll think about it. I think I'm going pizza for lunch because lunch I view as a meal that should be quick to, to, to have. And so pizza I can just heat up in the oven or in the microwave or however. Like heating up is, is really easy when it comes to pizza. Whereas with a burger, I want it to be fresh. And if I'm having to sort of make it myself, like then you want to put in some time. So I'd rather do the burger for dinner. And pizza for lunch. And for breakfast... See, I'm operating on a situation where these things are prepared for me. Oh, okay. That's fair. Maybe, maybe maybe that's not practical, because I think that if this was ever real, it would be more like what you're saying. So maybe yeah. maybe you have it right there. Yeah, so I'm torn on the breakfast thing, though, because like my first thought was like waffles, because I just love waffles. But I feel like I would get sick of waffles... Eventually. Yeah, but that's easy. You just don't eat breakfast those days. Yeah. I'm yeah. thinking, yeah, I'm thinking the answer is like French toast. Oh, and that's a... That's... When I don't want, like, I only eat breakfast, like, maybe, like, twice a month. Right. So I think that that would work for me. No, I think French toast is a good is a good option. Because you can also eat French toast really sweet or, like, cut back on the sweetness if you if you, if you want, like... Where with waffles, I feel like it's just got to be syrup. I don't, I, I don't agree there. I think waffles are where you can cut it back. No. Because I, waffles you can use as a sandwich. I I make sandwiches out of waffles all the time. Why it's really you do that with French toast? It's the same idea. It's literally bread. Just got an egg batter on because it. Because it's, it's got sugar on it. Not necessarily. I don't put sugar on my French toast. What? Yeah. It's just an egg batter. It's, a, it's a, eggs with some milk. I use like called, vanilla you know cream. That's, that's, that's called toast. <laughs> no, it's French toast. You what put do you cinnamon mean you don't on put them. Sugar, you don't put sugar don't on put French sugar? toast. What? I mean, you can put powdered sugar on. You can put powdered sugar on French toast. But French toast doesn't have to have powdered sugar on it. I, 
I like non-sweet French toast. Yeah. Is, what the hell are you talking about? It's good. It doesn't have to be like syrupy. Like you don't uh-huh. have to like drown it in syrup. This is incredibly foreign to me. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's Let good. us know if you're listening to this what you think. Is French toast possible to be eaten in a savory variety? Because I, I, I don't know if I'd go so insane. far. I don't know if I'd go so far to say that it's it would be a savory variety. It just well, you then can, what's the opposite of something that I don't want to say unsweet. What I'm saying, you can. This isn't iced tea. You can eat the French toast without syrup. Well, yeah, I do that all the time, but it still has sugar on it. Mm, it's still sweet. Not the French toast that I make. I don't know if I want to eat your French toast. <laughs> <laughs> either way, right. either way, I think the other am- option is probably like. If you could cheat and just say eggs, because you can prepare eggs in so many different ways, but like, uh, I can't really have eggs right now, so that's sad. Yeah, I, I'm i just going to go with French toast, and then when I don't want it, I just won't eat it. Yeah. That's pretty easy for me. I think we're actually um, in agreement. Like, the, 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 I could I could live. I, I would not bemoan my existence if it was French toast, pizza, burgers, and that's all I could eat. I, I wouldn't be too torn up about it. I, I'm sure I'd get sick get of it eventually. Gym time in there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Fred. Uh, with the English Premier League starting up in the morning, uh, this was on Friday, uh, what is the best opening day for you? EPL, NFL, MLB, college football, NHL, NBA, et cetera? For me, it's NCAA football because, like, I feel like it becomes like a full day binge of, like, just. You go from nothing to a bunch. Uh, where EPL, like, the problem with it being in the morning is that, like, I can sleep through games. It's not a big deal. But, like, the first college football Saturday, it's just the TV is just on on ESPN or ABC or whatever, like, all day. The so only downside have... is that I'm actually watching USC, and so I don't get to, like, experience that so much anymore. But So here, here's the problem. If we're talking about opening day, it's baseball because most of the league – plays their first game on the same day like 99 percent of the league right all but one game will be on that day everyone's playing it's the first game you got the 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 feeling of what opening day is optimism at its peak everyone's in first place blah 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 right all that's great uh in college football there's games on that friday there's games on thursday there's games in week zero there's games on labor day and monday there's games on Sunday. They, like, football is great for the weekend, but you don't necessarily have one day in which all those games are playing. But, uh, so I, think, I, so agree, I, think, I think there's I a difference. But, 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 Opening but, 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 day but, but, is but. baseball. Opening weekend is college football. Yes. There are two answers. Well, that, thir- that first Thursday when the first college football game is on, I wa- it's freaking Rutgers and Southern Illinois, and I watched the hell out of that game. For sure, yeah. But you're but right, it is spread across. There's like... There's like six games that day. There's not 46 games that yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's why I think college football nails the opening weekend. Baseball nails the opening day, even though they've changed it. It's not nearly as great as it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Reds should always play first, by the way. Reds should always play first. And opening day should be a national holiday. Screw everybody in the whole like day after Super Bowl thing. No. Opening day in baseball should be a national holiday. I don't care about opening day in baseball. That's why I've sort of stayed out of this segment of the... I wouldn't either if I was an Angels fan. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I get it. 
But yeah, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening, as always. Uh, we're at the halfway point of fall camp. A lot of stuff going down still in these next few days. USC has the fall showcase on Saturday, which means that there's a lot of practice car casts coming your way. Um, this week, um, over on Patreon, you can listen to those. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. You get all of our bonus content for as little as five fifty-five per month. Again, our meetup before the season is on Friday, August 30th, 7 p.m. Rockin' Brews in El Segundo. Segundo, not Gundo. Gundo. Segundo. El Segundo. Rockin' Brews. Yeah, that's it. The second. Even though it's going to be on the 30th. But, yeah. Anyways, uh, we'll see you then. Oh, at least you got a final word. The final word is brews. As in, you Bruce might get McCoy? some brews on the 30th, and hopefully hear some good news about Brew McCoy later this month. And since it's rock and blue brews, you might hear hot blooded. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.